Amen. Please be seated and uh, just prepare your hearts to receive from uh, Dr. Charles Montgomery. He spoke earlier on this year at the, the Vineyard Leaders Gathering, uh, end of April, up at Trent Vineyard, when we gathered together there. Um, he is an amazing man. We've actually we've heard him preach before. He's been out before um, to the Vineyard Leaders Gatherings as well. He's an amazing man. Um, and so just prepare your hearts to receive from, from him. And at the end of it, there'll be one question, which uh, I think you all know what normally will be. So let's just sit, not sit back and relax. It's actually sit forward and pay attention to what he has to say. Um, let's hear from Dr. Charles Montgomery. Well, good morning, Vineyard UK and Ireland. Good morning. Good morning. There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it is the spirit of the Lord. There is a sweet expression on each face, and I know that you feel the presence of the Lord. And so because of that, um, Pastor John, again, I am uh, deliciously delighted, amen, to be here um, once more at Vineyard UK and Ireland. I just bring you greetings from uh, the U.S., your cousins over there, your brothers and sisters over across the pond. And so um, we, just, we do kind of the privilege to to be here. Now, I need your prayers because um, I'm the first speaker up the bat, and my body tells me it's about 5.35 a.m. <laughs> amen. So somebody say, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Uh, amen. But you know, um, uh, Pastor John, I'm a, I'm a sports aficionado, and the staff here at the Trent Vineyard has been trying to explain to me the game of cricket. Uh, and the brother from the south side of Columbus, Ohio, hasn't quite grasped it yet. So I'm going to just stick with what I know and just use the baseball analogy. Um, but in baseball, the assignment of the first batter is to basically get on base. And that's what I want to do. I want to get on base on today and then get out of the way and let these other um, powerhouse speakers come and get us to where the Holy Spirit is asking for us to be. I was thinking about and praying about our time together at this conference, and the Holy Spirit started speaking to me along this general theme, don't just sit there but do something. And uh, that's not the title of my message this morning, but um, I mentioned it because I want you to situate it um, sort of like a canopy um, over the messages that I'm assigned to give uh, while here at this conference. And as I do this, um, I, don't, I do want to remind you that worshiping and, and conferencing and learning is not a spectator sport. That God does not want us to uh, merely spectate but God wants us to participate. And I say that because I'm kind of used to, in my tradition, people talking back to me when I preach. So if you would take about uh, 15 seconds and just praise God, I think I'll preach just a little bit better. So can you just take about, if you love Jesus, can you just put your hands together and just praise the Lord, I think. Yeah. I think I'll preach just a little bit better. I think I feel at home now. I feel at home now. Let's begin. It was in January 2010 that Jeff Miller, an independent businessman from Rogers Park, Illinois, USA, had clinched his third consecutive ultimate uh, couch potato title. Monday morning at Chicago's ESPN Zone. It's all about determination, said Miller who watched TV sports programming for 72 straight sleepless hours. Miller, some 26 years young, 
bested three other competitors and pushed himself beyond the Guinness World Record for nonstop viewing. With no sleeping, no leaving the chair, except for three daily bathroom breaks and hourly five-minute stretches. The venue controlled the remote from um, the time of the four contestants first reclined on New Year's Day. And 72 hours later, Miller sat alone. His, let's just say his superior sluggishness <laughs> earned him a new recliner, a $1,000 gift card toward the purchase of a television, money for one year for his cable and satellite bills, $1,000 in ESPN zone credit, and the ultimate couch potato trophy adorned with an actual uh, spud, just like trophies he had won in 2008, 2009. He's driven by everything he does, Gush's girlfriend explaining how her boyfriend's real estate business affords him so much time to sit these days. The ESPN reporter covering the event tried to hype it up, grabbed his mic and said to the gathering crowd, most people have no idea what it takes to win. They don't understand the endurance it takes to stay awake and control bodily issues. But Jeff is uniquely qualified. He is an expert. While some of the crowd smirked and smiled like some of you this morning, much to the shock and chagrin of the reporter, someone else in the crowd said, expert? Expert in what? Sloth? I think he said, seriously? How can you be serious about sloth? Because I want to explore this man's question because I believe it's a relevant one for the church. You remember in Revelation, uh, Jesus addresses seven churches, and one of them is called Laodicea. He calls Laodicea lukewarm. That you're neither cold nor hot. And friends, it's so serious that Jesus says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. He says to the church and perhaps to leaders of the church, leaders who, for whatever reason, have become lukewarm. And underneath that lukewarmness is something called slothfulness. It's one of the seven uh, deadly sins church leaders historically have said that all of us grapple with. You know, vices like uh, greed and gluttony and envy and pride. But this one, sloth, might be the most subtle and least talked about them of them all. If you're not careful, you might even question this morning how serious, how serious it is. Yet the Holy Spirit has assigned me this morning to answer this man's question and, and, and use it as the title of my sermon this morning. I, I want to preach from the subject, sloth, seriously. And I want to suggest it might just be more serious than some of us think. So would you pray with me? God, I love you and I bless you. And I thank you, Lord, for this assignment today. I believe that you want to speak to leaders today about something that perhaps we don't even always necessarily consider in our leadership development. I pray, Lord, that you would put power on this message and everything that you want to do. Lord, I back up and I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Let none of you be seen, but all of Christ exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. I pose this question, sloth, seriously. 
Because in the pantheon of sins, many of us might consider sloth in the lightweight division. Truth be told, we're not threatened by sloth. By sloth. I'm among leaders, so we already know that the wages of sin is death. But this one, sloth, we don't always necessarily give a second thought, particularly in comparison to the sins. We don't consider sloth as deadly. When it comes to other sins, we get it. We know that pride comes before the fall. We know that anger or too much anger often leads to violence, that lust destroys from the inside out, that envy put Jesus on the cross. We even get that gluttony can lead to a premature death. But seriously, has anyone ever really died from taking it too easy? I'm pretty sure the coroner's report never reads, cause of death, too many naps. <laughs> when I was growing up as a teenager, there was a video game I liked to play in the arcade. It was called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, named after the heavyweight fighter. And the first opponent you faced in Punch-Out was a man called Glass Joe. Come on, he just looks hard. Glass Joe was in the lightweight division, least, uh, the least threatening in comparison to the other fighters. But if you weren't careful, if you weren't on your game, now, if you didn't take Jack Glass Joe as seriously, Glass Joe could take you out. I'm just trying to get us to understand, Pastor Eleanor, the subtlety of slaw. Because it seems to be the least threatening and the least uh, uh, threatening, but sloth is sneaky. You see, it lurks around in the dark corners of our soul. And I'm trying to tell you is that all of us are susceptible to sloth. Come on now, in one season or another, we all procrastinate. We daydream. Some of us are doing it right now. <laughs> we run late for appointments or miss them entirely. We fritter away whole evenings in front of the telly. And if the truth be told, some of us spend too much time on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, or whatever your web addiction happens to be. We tend for things to happen that we never really start. And we start things that never sometimes happen. What happens is that we end up as leaders neglecting ourselves. And sometimes those we love and those who are counting on us. And sometimes, dare I say it, we end up neglecting God, God's self. Perhaps that's why the Bible takes sloth so seriously. Look at what it says in Proverbs. How long will you lie there, old sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's a, it's a sharp scripture. But the Bible takes sloth seriously. Let me give you another side order of Scripture. Later on in Proverbs, it says this, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his or her bed, because the Bible takes sloth seriously. And there are many other, other verses. Because of that, I want to take a little bit of time um, to talk about a, um, a particular um, verses. Um, the Scripture I want to focus on is um, over in uh, Matthew chapter 25. Where Jesus is teaching his disciples what, what, has become, what has become known as the parable of the talents. Many of you all know it, but allow me to paraphrase. The story is of a master who one day goes on a long journey. But before he goes, he leaves to his servants or his employees an assortment of talents. 
where each talent represents a measurement of money. In fact, some commentators suggest that just one talent represented uh, uh, 20 years of rages. And he gives one five talents. He gives two to another. But the last servant, he gives only one. And when the master comes back, the one that's given five has doubled his investment and has ten. The one with two doubles it and has four. And to both of them, the master says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But when it comes to the servant who has one, he's shocked to see that the servant has buried his talent in the ground. The master sees this, and in verse 26, he says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. And to add insult to injury, he proceeds to punish him. Why? Because he has no return on his investment. Meaning this, he highlights the servant's slothfulness to show us the seriousness of slothfulness. Don't miss this. Because if slothfulness is serious to Jesus, then as leaders, I want to suggest that slothfulness ought to be serious to us. That maybe, just maybe, slothfulness is more serious than we think. So would you just think with me for a few moments about the seriousness of slothfulness? I simply want to do four things this morning. I want to define it. I want to describe it. I want to talk about the danger of it. And I want to talk about how we can be delivered from it. Did you get that? I want to define it. I want to describe it. I want to talk about the danger of it and then how you and I can be delivered from it. Are y'all with me? So let's jump right in. What is sloth? Well, first of all, let me tell you what sloth is not. Sloth is not necessarily idleness. I know that we say that an idle mind is a devil's workshop. But listen, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be idle. There's nothing wrong with going on a vacation, staying on the beach, bless his name. <laughs> There's nothing bad about taking a walk in the park for no other reason than because it's a nice day. It's not sloth if you're lingering in a restaurant chatting up a dear friend. The sin of sloth is not curling up on a sofa with a good book on a rainy day or taking time to daydream and allowing yourself the freedom, particularly as a... So sloth, my friends, is not necessarily idleness. And I think I ought to tell you that sloth is not the same thing as rest. It's not recreation. It's not uh, what we hope you to do at this conference, re refuel. In fact, the Bible commands us to rest, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So what, Charles, is... Sloth, I'm glad y'all asked. <laughs> Here is my definition of sloth. Sloth is craving personal comfort at all costs. And hear me, it is costly. Sloth will cost you some joy and blind you to needs within your power to fulfill. And listen, it can numb you and dull your desires to things that really matter in life. In fact, if you really want to get to the essence of sloth, you got to go back to how it was defined uh, by the Desert Fathers in the 3rd or 4th century. 
these African theologians came up with a term to define sloth, and they called it Acadia. Acadia, Acadia, which, which basically translates to not caring at all. It's when we say, I don't care. It's the quieting of care, the dimming of desire, and the silence of sensitivity. Hear me, when you no longer have focus, when you're living a life that doesn't arouse your strong passions and therefore instills a sluggishness of the soul, David Brooks puts it like this. It's like an oven being set on warm. I see a little of Laodicea in that definition, lukewarm, where where you're so detached and and depressed and distant and indifferent. That, my friends, is the definition of sloth. But quickly, let's talk about the description of sloth. In other words, how do we know it, particularly as leaders, when we see it, or better yet, feel it? I heard... Uh, Steve Nicholson, I heard Rich Nathan once say that uh, sloth is like having a case of a spiritual blouse. Blah and numb. Checked out regarding who Christ is, ignoring his invitation for you to follow him with your whole being. Let me bring it closer to home. It's like the adult or the teenager who's not particularly interested in God, let alone spiritual things. That's what it's like to be in a state of spiritual inertia. Y'all, you might even say it's like being a spiritual Homer Simpson. Come on now, just sitting on the sofa with your mouth wide open, flipping through channels on the telly over and over again. Do y'all get the picture? Spiritual blogs, indifferent unmotivated, in a rut. That's what it's like to have the spiritual blahs. But not only is sloth like having the spiritual blahs, but here's where I really want to drop anchor. Here's what I want to slow down. And I want to speak to leaders. Because believe it or not, sloth can lurk in a state of busyness. That when we can just be as guilty of sloth in our busyness as we are in our sluggishness. Listen, you can be a hard-charging professional, hard worker, making money hand over fist, working 70-plus hours a week, successful in business, successful in ministry and all of that, and still be guilty of sloth. Why? Because work and ministry might be for you the least path of resistance. What do you mean, Charles? You see, those desert fathers, when they were writing about sloth, called it the temptation to take the easy way out. And some of us succumb to that temptation because it's easier for you to work vocationally so you don't have to work through the problems that you are experiencing personally. Stay with me. I just came through the back door. Can we be honest? For some of us, the more you work, the less you have to deal with the messiness in your family or the overstuffed schedule of your kids 
or your spouse's depression or your loved one's health or getting involved in a relationship if you're single. The loneliness you feel over the last few years pressing through this pandemic. So your escape is to play in a vocational playground and ignore the voice telling you there's some real stuff that you got to deal with. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been there? Well, you say it's easier for me to hang out over here so I don't have to deal with the real-life issues I'm facing over there. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sloth cloaks itself in your busyness so that we ignore, we become indifferent to the things that really matter in life, whether it's the condition of our families or the quality of your relationships or the performance on your job or the health of your body or watch this, tending to our own burnout. Friends, this is the unspoken issue that so many of us deal with. New York Times over in the States recently ran an article saying that across the globe that pastors and ministers are dealing with burnout in unprecedented levels because not only are we dealing with our own pain, but let's be honest, it's just us today. It can burn you out bearing the weight of the grief and the divisions and the anxieties in our own communities. I read of a pastor who was trying to explain what it's been like for pastors and leaders dealing with the life of ministry over the last few years. And he listed the difficulties, the pandemic, churches, church members getting sick and dying, political polarization, Church members losing their jobs and struggling financially disputes over race and politics and justice and all of that. And then this is what he said that caught my attention. Everything, there it is, snowball. Close friends would check in and ask how he was doing. He'd smile that he was fine. And then when alone, he burst into tears. Watch this, not out of physical exhaustion, but out of mental and emotional exhaustion. And he said, I just can't do this anymore. Can I ask you again? Have you ever been there? Anybody there right now? You're at this conference, but you're burnt out. And you wouldn't admit it to your congregation and those that you serve, but you're paralyzed with numbness or the enormity of your responsibilities. And sometimes you wonder if your sacrifice makes a difference or not. The sacrifice of your time and and your energy and the toll it takes on your family. And you're saying, does anybody really care? Should I care? Or does God even care? Sloth is the downward spiral that can make you feel indifferent. But here's the good news. Even though sloth tries to make you indifferent 
I came across the pond to remind someone that we serve a God who is not indifferent towards you. That when God reached across the balcony of heaven and grabbed the hold of your life to save you, when you received that clarion call from the divine that you answered, God wasn't indifferent. God called you leader. God called you pastor because God has a plan for your life. I'm preaching better than some of y'all responding. This is the God who says, I know I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. Do I have a witness in this place? Listen, listen. God's hope and God's plan is that you and I would experience God's happiness and the joy that comes when you have an intimate relationship with God. But, but the danger of sloth is that sloth can keep us from receiving that happiness by encouraging us to take the easy way out. And that, my friends, has consequences. There's a cost to slothfulness. This is a lesson that Jesus teaches in Matthew 25. If you have a daydream, Tommy, you'll remember the first two servants were called faithful, but the last servant, Jordan, was called slothful. In fact, the text says that the master calls him both wicked and slothful. So here's the question on the floor. Why would he do that? Well, of course, Jesus is the master. And the master is telling the story near the end of Matthew, signifying he's near the end of his earthly sojourn. So the lesson is designed to give them instructions, watch this, about kingdom living. But even though the king of kings is leaving, that one day he's coming back. And may I remind you that when he comes, he's coming with an expectation, leader. And the expectation is this, that you and I, would continually invest in the talents or the gifts that God has given us. I'm under no illusion that in a crowd like this, God has placed many gifts and treasures in earthen vessels. All of us have a gift. And it's God's expectation, I need to remind you, that in this life, you and I use our gifts to the glory of God. You see, the problem with a slothful servant is that instead of uh, meeting expectations, he makes excuses. One of my mentors told me that excuses are tools of the incompetent that build bridges to nowhere and monuments of nothingness. And those of us who use them seldom amount to anything. This man used excuses. He failed to meet the master's expectations. Hear me. Sloth is the voice that whispers excuses in your ear, trying to get you to exonerate yourself from the expectations of God. Oh, come on, y'all, let's talk. You know what that voice sounds like. You know what it says. The Lord knows my heart. <laughs> that God understands. He understands my situation. Let me give you something to tweet in true Twitter form. God understands but he does not accept excuses. Can I ask you a question? What excuses are you giving God? God, I know you want me to do this, 
but I'm, I'm really busy. I, I don't have time. Lord, I know there's a need to fulfill in my community, but I don't have the right people with the right gift mix. I don't have the money. Lord, I'm here at the, at the Trent Vineyard, and if my church had these resources, things would be different. Lord, I pray, I would pray for that person, but every time I'm around them, they push my buttons. <laughs> In fact, I don't cuss as much as I used to, but because they push the wrong buttons, I just got to tell them something. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Seriously, friends, what excuses are you giving to God? The slothful servant makes excuses. He doesn't meet expectations, and as a result, He's exposed to the master's judgment because instead of bearing the burden of the expectation, he buries his gift in the ground. And the explanation was, I was afraid. I was fearful. I did not have enough faith to take a risk. I'm in the video, so you already know that faith and risk are related. Are related. Come on, John, women disciples, you know that faith is spelled what? R. I just want to make sure I was in the vineyard, okay? So here, here's another question on the floor. What's the risk afresh that God may be calling you to right now? Planning or transitioning your church or reaching people outside the church or outside the faith or maybe something a little bit closer at hand, simply forgiving someone but you're afraid to open up your heart again. Restoring someone back to relationship, even though they betrayed you. Or trying to reorder your marriage God's way. Or courageously waiting for God's choice in your marriage, refusing to compromise. Now I'm bringing this up because the text suggests that while taking risks might seem dangerous, not taking risks for God is even more dangerous. This man absolutely refused to take a risk for God. And the Bible says that he was cast in the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I need to be honest with y'all, I don't know what that means. But listen, I don't want to know what that means. Like Paul, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. I don't know about you, but, but I need to be empowered and delivered from the danger of sloth. Well, Charles, hurry up and tell us, how can I be delivered from sloth? Well, again, I think I told you that sloth is a vice. It's one of the seven deadly sins, and all of them have a corresponding virtue. And the corresponding virtue for sloth is diligence. On the surface, it means a, a dedication to hard work, an attitude, if you will, of, of diligence. And, and that, my friends, is the difference between the five servant, the two servant, and the one servant. The five servant was blessed, and he realized that the Lord has, the, 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 he realized that what the Lord has given him is five. But if I'm diligent, it might be ten. The one that got two says, listen, I only got two. But if I'm diligent... I might get four. But the problem with the brother who only gets one, as the Lord says he was slothful, hear me today, no gift of God comes with the privilege of being slothful. 
That whatever God gives you with, it has potential and possibility, but it requires work and it requires diligence. Many of this, you got to work with what God gave you. But here's the good news. In the economy of God, it'll work if you're working. My grandma said, if you put your backbone in it, if you envision it, if you go to work with it, if you commit yourself to it, God says he will multiply it if you learn how to work it. No gift from God is a spiritual endowment. No talent is a sanctified trust fund. What God gives always has potential and possibility for more when you work it. So hear me, brother. Hear me, sister. God doesn't give you fruit, but God gives you the seeds and you got to work it. God might not give you the job, but he'll give you the interview. You got to work it. God might not make you manager, but he'll put you in the mailroom. You got to learn how to work it. God won't give you the building, but he'll give you the blueprint and the vision. You've got to work it. And if you work what God gave you, the text says that it multiplies when you put your work into it. When you have a, a diligent attitude, but get this, diligence also has a deeper meaning. The root word for diligence in the Latin is diligere, which really means to love. So my diligence is not just a working relationship, but it's really a reflection of my relationship with God. Here's what that means. That I'm not diligent out of duty. I'm diligent out of my devotion and my love. Those of us who are married should understand this. Someone said the marriage is eternal. But if you want a great marriage, it's daily. That if you want to have a great marriage, you have to invest in it daily and day by day. Even the days you don't feel like it. Parents. You go to work on days that you don't feel like it. But because of the love you have for your child and to provide for your child, you get up and go anyway. You make a conscious choice to do it. Why? Because love remembers the choice. Likewise, in our relationship with God, it boils down to a choice. And by the way, not just one choice, but it involves daily choices. You see, the secret of shaking off sloth comes down to secret choices that you and I make every day. That if you want to share in the master's happiness, God says, okay, here's a series of a hundred choices that you need to make. Let me take off a few. Will you stop checking your phone? Or turn off your favorite podcast just so you can talk to God? Will you pull out your AirPods out of your ear? Turn off Spotify just to spend time in God's presence. We get off Facebook and put your face in the good book. <laughs> when you open your web browser, what will you watch? Is what your eyes see honoring in God's eyes? When people talk crazy to you, when you hold your tongue or blurt out what you're really thinking, that there are daily choices we make that move us closer to God and reveal if I'm slothful or if I'm faithful. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. A diligent attitude 
always leads to decisive action. That's what makes sloth so serious. It's really that sloth, my friends, is a sin of omission. And they can make you miss the happiness of God. It's a sin of inaction that can affect the quality and depth of our relationship with God and with others. Sloth can leave you stuck in a rut. But hear me, a diligent attitude always leads to decisive action. I think of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and mine, saying that no one takes my life, but I lay it down. And I lay it down, and I can take it back up again. God chose us. And God followed up that choice with love and action. God sacrificed God's son to be in relationship with us. That's why you can't think about the cross and not be moved. Over there at the Asbury Seminary, students were in chapel, got to thinking about the goodness of God and God's compassion and God's love, and they started to linger. More students started coming. More started coming from around the world. Now, I understand, Pastor Debbie, that you were there and others, and others came just to be in the presence of God and experience the move of God and, and to wait on God. I wonder if sometimes, if God is waiting on us to make a move, to take some decisive action in our lives. And if you would move, God would move and, would, would, and he would work out some things. He would rearrange some things and multiply good things in and through your life. So the question I have this morning I want to leave you with is simple. Is there something that God is asking you to do for God's glory? an area of your life where God is asking you to take action. Maybe even to take a risk. That's what I want to do today. I want to give someone a fresh opportunity to take some decisive action. Yeah, just uh, it's amazing. I mean, challenging. Really challenging. And um, what happened? Did it, okay. Um, there's a question he asked right at the end, poses right at the end. What is it? So two questions then for us today is, what struck you the most out of this? And then his question, what do you think God's calling you to, to, to do? What is he speaking to you? So let's have some time. For those that are online, thank you for being with us. And uh, I trust you were able to hear and see all of that. And... Um, Thank you. Hopefully next week you can be here in, in the hall with us and not online. So thank you to you. We'll say goodbye to you. Those